0: So one uh, spiritual practice that I regularly engage is called examine. And uh, each night, I practice it with my three-year-old son, Thomas, uh, right before he goes to bed. Now, the examine is a, a practice that invites us to uh, reflect on the experiences of our day, to think about kind of everything that happened, the events, uh, the encounters that we've had, and to offer gratitude uh, for the gifts that we might have received during that day, and to wonder about where we might have encountered um, God throughout our day. So uh, every night, I ask my son Thomas, you know, like, what did you do today? And we'll kind of start with, uh, you know, what did you eat for breakfast? And uh, what toys did you play with? And, and uh, who did you get to play with? What friends did you get to see? And did you go to school? And, um, did you feel happy today? And when did you feel scared? When did you feel sad or lost? And uh, he doesn't really understand the word gratitude, but I can tell that that's what it means when he talks about the people that he loves and the people who love him. And, um, and also when he talks about ice cream and cookies and Paw Patrol. Uh, he's super grateful for Paw Patrol right now. And, um, but a few weeks ago, we were doing the exam together on a Sunday night, and, and I asked him, uh, you know, Thomas, what did, what did you do today? And he told me that he had been to church, duh, dad, uh, it's kind of a thing we do on Sundays. And, and I asked him, well, did you, what did you, you do? Did you, uh, did you pray at church? Did you sing any songs? And, and he told me that, that with his class that he had learned the song, Jesus Loves Me, and then he sang it for me, like, 20 times. <laughs> and... This is not a story that ends with me as the hero. Um, he, uh, I could have said to him, Thomas, you know, that's a, that is a, such a great song, and I love that song, and I am, I am just so pumped that you're learning it, and that you can sing it, and remind yourself that Jesus loves you. I could have said that. But for some reason, I was in a mood. Um, and I thought that, you know, this is the time for me to really kind of drill down on his theology. Now is really the moment for this. It's opened, it's opened up. And so I said, you know, <laughs> I asked him, I said, Thomas, you know, that's a really great song. You know, but like, who is Jesus? <laughs> I was in a mood. And, uh, and he looked at me, and no lie, I'll never forget it. He looked at me like straight in the face and without hesitation said to me, Jesus is God. And here's, what, here's why I was really surprised by that. A, like, we've never talked about this. Um, he is just three years old, so I figured I'd wait until at least four or five until we kind of hammer out the finer bits of his Christology. He's got a little bit of time, right? But I, I uh, thanks be to God for his amazing Sunday school class and Sunday school teachers who are catechizing him in the ways of Orthodox Christianity. Uh, but we just hadn't, we hadn't talked about it. So I was, like, really, really surprised by it. And I think I was so surprised by it that I said something like, Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, Go to bed. (laughs) And um, at some point, we're going to have to return to this conversation, right? We're gonna have to have this conversation again. And uh, we're gonna have to have this conversation about, and I'm gonna have to explain, explain to him precisely why it matters that we confess that Jesus is God. Why does it matter that at the center of our relationship to God, is the person of Jesus. And when we have that conversation, uh, I might take him to Paul's letter to the Galatians, which is what we're going to read from in just a bit, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is doing something very similar with, um, with some of his own spiritual cho- children, as it were, the people who first heard about Jesus um, from him. So we're, we're nearing the end of our summer preaching series through the entire Bible. And last week, we, we finally crossed the terrain into the New Testament. And, um, and Jill preached on the incarnation of Jesus Christ, um, God descending uh, uh, to us in the person of Jesus Christ, signaling to us that God deeply loves the world that God created. And ultimately, we know that this love was enacted by Jesus when he went to the cross. And as Paul writes in his greeting to the Galatians, on the cross, Jesus gives himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. To set us free from the present evil age. The imagery that Paul uses throughout the whole book of Galatians is, is imagery of invasion. That in Jesus Christ, God invades the world. right? But not to, not to occupy, not to colonize, but to liberate and to set us free from the powers of sin and death. It's quite quite a read, and I hope that you will read the entire book through. It's short. It'll take you um, a half hour to read the whole thing through. Paul tells the Galatians that God invades the world to set us free from the powers of sin and death. So we're going to read from chapter 2, verses 15 through 21 in just a second. But here's a brief word of context about Galatians. So so Paul was passing through this region, uh, and he got sick. And so he had to spend some time resting, which afforded him the opportunity to preach to these people uh, in this region. And uh, he preaches the gospel that he has preached from from the beginning, that in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself, and that this is an act that is initiated and completely carried out by God and God alone, and that we are invited to trust that God really has done this, that God really has reconciled the world, and and that this is what Paul calls faith, right? It's trust that God really has done all of this for us in Jesus Christ. So he preaches the gospel, and then, and then he leaves. And over time, and I have to say, this is really comforting to me, uh, just as a pastor, to know that, like, the Apostle Paul started a church, and then, like, over time, things just, like, kind of fell apart a little bit, um, just given that he was the Apostle Paul. It's kind of a big deal. Um, but in time, as the churches in Galatia grew, some teachers within the churches began to preach another gospel, and as a result, really confused the people who were gathered there, the Christians who were gathered there. And the tricky part about this other gospel is that it's just almost Christian, right? Like, it's just almost right. It had all the parts about Jesus, and some other stuff. And that other stuff was that the Jewish community, the Jewish Christians, were requiring the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses in order to become Christians. So I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Let's read together. Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if, in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, be gracious to us as we are here seeking a word that only you can speak. Be gracious as we listen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in order to kind of grasp the full weight of Paul's argument, we need to understand kind of just how radical his claims are. If you remember, the law was at the center of Israel's relationship with God, okay? Since God rescued them from Egypt, this is the law that God gave to the people of Israel and commanded them to keep it. And as one scholar reminds us, this law didn't come with but like an expiration date um, at all. So so imagine, right, imagine that you are a Jewish Christian following Jesus, and here comes Paul teaching that the law cannot make someone right with God. That's what that word means. Uh, justification means. Only God can do that through the work of Jesus Christ. So you can see the problem, right? You can see the problem. The earliest Christians were Jewish, and they continued to practice this law as kind of a marker of their cultural and religious identity, and soon the Gentile Christians want to follow Jesus too. So the question becomes, do they need to become Jewish to do that? Paul's answer is decisively no. They don't. And so what we see here is that Paul is rewriting Israel's story. He's rewriting Israel's story around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not around the law. All right, so imagine Paul kind of putting his rhetorical arm around his listeners. And what he says here is like, look, we were born Jews, and by virtue of that, we have an extremely high view of the law. And that's fine. And yet even we know that a person is not made right with God through keeping the law, but through the work of Jesus Christ. Imagine him saying, the way we used to do things could never really give us what we really wanted. could never really give us the kind of freedom before God and before one another that, it, that we thought that it could. We tried it. But what we soon realized was that it was easy for us to become self-righteous. It was easy for us to try to impress God. It's easy for us to try to impress ourselves and maybe even each other. On top of that, later in the letter, he also goes further. He says that the law was never actually designed to liberate people from the power of sin and death, but actually was only supposed to be a temporary guardian to kind of guide Israel to the time and the moment that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. So as Paul is kind of, imagine Paul is writing like a screenplay for the Bible. And in this screenplay that Paul is writing, the law is just the supporting character. Just the the supporting role. And Jesus is the lead character. I know it might be hard for us to imagine just how scandalous, how how radical rewriting Israel's story was. But it it would have been very outrageous for the Jewish Christians to hear Paul doing this. He's transforming Israel's story from a set of practices designed for a small ethnic community right? He's transforming it into a universal story to include everyone, right? This isn't just a story about Israel anymore. This is a story about the entire world, and the reason it's a story about the entire world is that because at the center of it is Jesus and not the law. So if you've ever kind of woken up to the idea, if you've ever had this experience that the the grace of God is a lot bigger And it's far wider, and the boundaries between kind of who's in and who's out are a lot fuzzier than you once thought you can relate to the Jewish Christians here. It's a disorienting experience, and they are disoriented, and they're kind of angry with the apostle. But Paul doubles down on the claims of the gospel, going so far as to suggest that if we add anything to this work that Jesus has accomplished, we deny the grace of God and it would have, it, it, it doesn't benefit us at all that Jesus died. It's a radical claim. So what does he tell the Galatians to do instead? He says that instead of living by the law, they should live to God instead. Now I have like me a fairly finely tuned um cliché radar uh, it's probably, like, going at peak right now. Like, it's just, it's, it's soaring, right? Like, what, is it re- what does that really mean, Paul, to, uh, to die to the law and to live to God? Well, I think what it means is it, it, to live to something or to live by something means that we kind of form the basis of our entire life around that thing, our meaning-making, our happiness, our sense of fulfillment. A good way to know kind of what you're living by is to ask yourself, um, what if, uh, if I lost it, what would make me feel like I had no life left? It's a really good way to kind of drill down on what you're living your life by. If I lost it, what would make me feel like I had no life left? Paul is essentially saying that the law can't bear that kind of weight. The law can't bear that kind of weight. When we live according to the law, subjectively speaking, we put all of that weight on the law subjectively speaking we will be anxious and insecure because we'll never actually live up to that standard we'll wonder am i am i really doing enough or perhaps worse am i am i doing better than everyone else right keeping track of how everyone else is kind of tracking with this law and the good news of the gospel, right, the reason that Paul is writing back to the Galatians, this church that, these churches that he had planted, is to remind them what he first taught them, that, that Christ died to set them free from the burden, from the anxiety, from the insecurity of practicing the law. And that now the only thing that matters is faith working itself out as love. Faith working itself out as love. This, uh, this is what I plan to tell my son Thomas when we revisit that conversation about what it means to say that Jesus is the center of our relationship with God because at its essence, our trust in uh, God's grace in Christ is meant to enlarge our lives. It's meant to set us free from the sin that enslaves us, most especially maybe that anxiety-ridden self-righteousness that we all kind of carry around with us. And what it's supposed to leave us with is this new capacity to love. To love um, others, to love God, to love ourselves, as we were uh, commanded to do by Christ. And so here's why this letter is as important, I think, to us now as it was then. While it's true that the Galatians had a theological, theological problem, right? More seriously, I think that they had a love problem. Their theology was keeping them from loving their Gentile brothers and sisters. They weren't able to kind of include them and love them, bring them into their community because they were so busy and distracted policing their religious behavior. And we're kidding ourselves if, if we don't think that Paul is speaking directly to us in 2017 as well. Right, this is a problem that has endured So Paul Paul speaks clearly to us as well. All summer long, we've been talking about the faithfulness of God um, in these stories that we've read and encountered. This is a thread that runs from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the faithfulness of God. And when we believe the story of God's faithfulness is, is a true story, when we believe that story, I think it actually helps us see the world as it really is. The world really is a place in which God acts on our behalf. The world really is a place that God makes promises and God keeps promises. And I think that the letter to the Galatians shows exactly what's at stake when we choose to believe that that story is true. We're given a choice. And if you choose to believe only part of the story, as I think the Galatians do, you'll live with anxiety and insecurity, worried about living up to an acceptable standard, or worse, kind of comparing yourself to others and making sure everyone else is also living up to that standard. And when you do that, it's going to be really, really hard to love yourself. It's going to be really hard to love other people. But, and this is the good news, if you choose to believe that in Jesus Christ, God really has reconciled the world to himself, that God really has made things right between God and us and between each other. That God really has done that. You'll soon realize, I think, the enormous capacity that you will have to love other people. And the reason for that, I think, is because, as Paul says, when we choose to trust in this story, it is no longer we who live, but that it's Christ who lives in us. It's Christ that creates that capacity in us to love other people just as Christ has loved us and given his life for us. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, in Christ you have reconciled us to yourself. You've created peace between us and between each other. We ask that you would continue to give us the strength, the courage to believe this story. Believe that you really have done this. That we might love one another as you have called us to love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.